Today on Never Was a Gamer, we're putting the mess in Black Mesa. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the well-dressed monster in a skin suit who watches me struggle all game and then expects me to cooperate when it's all over, Dimitri. (laughs) Sounds like you have some feelings about the G-Man. I do. (laughs) (laughs) And so Michelle has finished Mm Half-Life. So before we get into general thoughts, do you just want to set up what this game is in case people listening haven't played it? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, So this is a first-person shooter where you are Gordon Freeman, who's a scientist at Black Mesa, a high-security research compound. And after an experiment rips a hole in space and aliens from the planet Zen pour in, you fight your way through the facility to stop the invasion and then the aliens for good. For good? For good, question mark? (laughs) (laughs) The end? (laughs) Yeah, so that's Half-Life. I actually had a way easier time and way more fun with this game than I think either of us expected me to. Yeah, and you definitely, I think, had a better time of it than I did playing it. Yeah, well, I played it on easy, which is good. (laughs) Yeah, I think the correct choice, um, especially for people like both of us that don't play first-person shooters kind of religiously, and especially not ones from that time. Yeah, no, I was surprised how much I picked this up and how easy it was to sit down and play it for like meaningfully long periods of time. And it did, parts of it did start to feel like I sort of got back into the like, right, I've I've played Fallout. I sort of know how to move and shoot a little bit in this. Um, we'll talk a bit about how the computer, uh, how playing it on PC changed that experience. But I basically had a really fun time with this game couple of rough spots okay yeah (laughs) there's gonna be a couple of rough spots but like this game is really clever and creative and full of surprises even now and like i get why this is loved honestly i am honestly really surprised by how well you took to this game and how much you seem to have enjoyed it (laughs) so what are some of the things that really stood out as special to you um i mean the first thing that stands out is i really love this game structurally. I really like the chapters in this. I think they really work both for helping articulate, you know, what story there is there. I really like that each each chapter has such a clear, strong vision of what its core mission is. And a chapter is you getting through that sort of arc. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really important about this game. And one thing that really distinguishes it from a lot of the first-person shooters that came before, the, like the ones you played last time, mm-hmm, Wolfenstein 3D, mm-hmm. Doom, Quake, in that it does have a chapter structure, but one that takes place within kind of a continuous space. Right. So it's not the level-based structure where you get through a level, get to the elevator at the end, and then push the button and then get the screen that says level end, you get your stats, then you move on to the next one. Yeah. But it's a game that kind of has its cake and eats it too, I think, because there's the illusion of no levels, there's the illusion of continuous space. But like you're saying, each chapter is very much a level. Yeah. And it'll break on often even you being in an elevator changing floors, literally, or like squeezing through a little passage between different zones, you'll get the little chapter update thing. So yeah, it's one of those like you've 
you've concealed your you've concealed the bones of this thing in a in a really productive way. Yeah, the chapters really blur together, mm-hmm. but they still very much operate as levels. And like you said, I think that's really to the game's benefit um, because each level really does have a very clear central idea, central thesis, central goal. And then once that's fulfilled, you're on to the next thing. And I mean, I, there were times when it kind of felt long. This game was much longer than I thought it was going to be. There um, are specific upon reflection. chapters also that are very long. Yeah. And usually when it comes to first person shooters, anything beyond like the six to eight hour mark, I usually find a little bit long yeah. in the tooth, like it gets repetitive. And for me, this one had enough variety. It did feel long at points, but yeah. not not what I was not what I was worried about. I would say that there are individual levels that go on a little bit longer than they need to or individual chapters where it's like, mm-hmm. mm, we could have had a couple less, you know, passageways to deal with here. But I think, you know, in particular, we have a pretty big change to the environment for the last 15% of the game that sort of breathes some momentum back in right as you're getting to that point where you... Wow, we might disagree about this. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, Michelle's referring to when you go to the alien planet of Zen, which yeah. I think we actually had very different responses to, but but we can we can get there. I'm actually really surprised that Michelle seems to feel positively about it. I do. It's This is the one part of the game that is almost universally reviled. And, uh, <laughs> really? And visiting again, I was like, oh my God, this is even worse than I remembered. So There's stuff that profoundly does not work in it. But on balance, I thought it was really cool and I really like it as the last, the home stretch of this game. Let's dig into that a bit more uh, in a bit. Yeah. Uh, But what were your thoughts about level design in general? First of all, I think this game has 90% of it has really, really strong level design. The other 10%, and I'm talking about a couple chapters or a couple of spaces, particularly, like I said, are just a little bit not are articulated as clearly as I would like them to be. But overall, what you have this sense of here in every level is a space that is for something, a space that is for something other than you just bouncing through it and shooting the guys. None of them feel like a shooting gallery. They all mm-hmm. they all feel like they have organic throughways through them that make sense for the kind of structure that they are. They all have a, a really good balance of routing you through a space where, you know, you, you're not going to get lost too much. Like you're, you're mostly going to be moving in the right direction if you just kind of keep working your way through, but still with enough variation and enough like loopbacks and, and um, iterations on, on where you're going mm-hmm. that it, it feels like you are exploring and you are getting the lay of the land in, in each space. Yeah, and this game kind of had the added challenge of designing levels and sequences that would be fun and exciting, but within a space that still has to be grounded in some kind of reality. Right. right or at least the portions that take place on, on Earth. Right, especially because this this is a research facility, and especially at the beginning of the game, the game goes to such great lengths to set up the fact that this is an everyday space. It's full of mundane spaces like break rooms and washrooms. It's really trying to create the sense that you're just going about your day at work. But then once all hell breaks loose, they have to use these same mundane spaces as your action spaces, right? They have to make a good shooter within these spaces that are already tied to a reality. Right, right, right. And I do think this disappears toward the end when this once realistic space becomes more and more fantastical and and a bit abstract. But I think that's why I'm really so impressed by the first few chapters of this game. Mm -hmm. And especially those chapters that happen right after the disaster that uh, that Gordon causes. And I'm I'm especially impressed by how improvisational it feels to move through the space as you're working your way back out of the reactor and back through the offices. Right? It's a path that's not perfectly laid out. 
And at least for me, it really felt like I was making my way through a facility that was actually about to collapse. It was really frantic. It really felt like I was trying to escape. And not like I was trying to escape on a route that was carefully planned and scripted, even though obviously it it was. Yeah, for sure. So when you're trying to escape, you eventually come to this uh, point where the floor has fallen out and you need to get across this chasm to the other side. What you have to do is you have to use these pipes that are along the wall as platforms. And like it was so refreshing because those pipes weren't super clearly telegraphed. Mm. They weren't glowing yellow. Right. Um, That edge of neon paint or something like that to mark them. Yeah. Yeah. Like it felt like the world exists and you have to figure out how to use what's left of it to get across the platforms. And again, obviously, you're supposed you need to use those platforms. They're meant as platforms. But just that little giving the, the player a little bit of extra credit. It goes a long, long way. Yeah, actually, one of my favorite things that happens in the sequence right after the calamity, um, where you're trying to escape still, is you finally make your way to an elevator that seems to still be working, and you push the call button, and you're waiting for it, and then all of a sudden, you just see through the the glass uh, shaft of the elevator, the elevator just plummet through like it's just free falling with people screaming from the inside like scientists like you just see the thing you would have got on just drop and then you have to get out as you said like into the shaft it's just it's really it's that sense of everything falling absolutely Mm -hmm. apart yeah and i don't know if that's uh if that's just a a shout out to older games if this is an intentional shout out to that trope of (laughs) you know you get to the elevator and that marks the end of the level and this it's like no that just literally falls out from under you something else figure something else out yeah Yeah. the the other thing that i love about the sequence as well establishes one of my favorite flavor things of the Mm. game which is i think another testament to it feeling like a mundane real space which is the like all your co-workers are idiots (laughs) like every every scientist and security guard in this space is like a panicky idiot who's doing whatever they're doing it's an absolutely stupid thing to do (laughs) and it's so funny and reflective of how it feels to work in an office day in and day out like no listen my coworkers are very nice and smart but like it's it's that feeling of of ordinary people right and somewhere that you could picture yourself being on a tuesday not just (laughs) on the day when the portal to zen opens Mm -hmm. I guess for me, this does taper off towards the end, especially the mm-hmm. last few the last few chapters that take place still on Earth ended up feeling much more kind of tropey first person shootery to me. And again, maybe they would have felt more fresh in, you know, in 1998. But now it felt like, OK, we're just going down a corridor and they're just throwing shit at you. And yeah, the cover options aren't great at that point near the end. And, and again, it was just kind of feeling long in the tooth. But the first half of this game, I think, is so, so strong. Yeah. I truly love that this game places zero value on human life. Like, so quickly in the beginning, because of how utterly incompetent everyone proves himself to be immediately, I, I don't think it's just me who makes a snap decision that, like, I'm not trying to save anyone else here. Like, every security guard that you can, like, bring with you to try to help you fight or whatever... They just like, I know this person's going to die. I'm not trying to save them in the slightest. They are coming with me to be a meat shield and fire some bullets. And that's it. And I feel nothing about that. Like this, this game manages to be a game where sometimes you have to get an NPC to come with you to open up a thing for you. But and yet it doesn't have any escort quests. Mm-hmm. Like at no point does it make you do that thing where it's like, keep the NPC alive. In, right. In, like, it is very much like a red shirts. Yeah. Type yes. Thing. Yes. I mean, even uh, Valve even alludes to this. They call like this the main security guard. His name is Barney, and they're all named Barney. Perfect. And they're all just Barneys. But in one of the um, in one of the expansion packs, you actually play 
a, a central Barney and like <laughs> and see this um, story from his perspective, which is kind of funny. Yeah, there will be ones in the middle of this invasion, just like standing at a checkpoint, still in their little <laughs> yeah. guard booth, being like, "Could those guys have made a bigger mess?" <laughs> okay, Chandler Bing, like, are you not going to run? Like, what are you doing here? Come with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there is one big thing about this game that we do need to address. And before I address it all, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something. So Gabe Newell has talked about some of his influences and some of his favorite games. Mm -hmm. And one of his favorite games of all time, which I think we can see reflected here, is Doom. Mm -hmm. Take a guess what his other one of his other favorite games is. And I think of like as of 2014 at least was still his favorite game of all time. I the game that we've played recently. Super Metroid? Nope. Mario 64. Oh, no. And it's clear that he that played that. That explains so much. And he's like, oh, we have to have some platforming Let's sequences in this Let's get some jumps in this. In this. I, I, I swear to God that this game makes you do long jumps more than Mario 64 did. It is truly a shocking amount of platforming. It makes no sense to me why you would put <laughs> this much platforming into a first person game. Didn't I say in my, how do you feel about first person? Like, yes. you can't see where your feet are. It really sucks. Yeah. Still true. <laughs> and again, I think I think this bothered me way more than it bothered you. I think you got, I don't know if you necessarily got through the sections easier. At the very least, you didn't get as frustrated as I did. Yeah, I, there were a couple of points where it really got to me, but they were pretty discreet and pretty rare. For the most part, I was like, oh, I'll figure this out. And I did see you like right at the beginning, you have to you have to kind of cross this chasm by jumping on these boxes that are suspended from the ceiling. Yep. Um, yeah, you did that pretty masterfully. Not the hard go. part. No. And then, yeah, there's the other part. Actually, with when the elevator drops out, you have to do this long jump. Got that first time. To a ladder on the other half. Yeah, you were doing the long jumps. Like, no big no deal. problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were driving me insane. <laughs> Having to like later maneuver over like vats of chemicals. Yeah. Why is this in yeah. your game? Uh huh. Stay in your lane, Gabe <laughs> Newell. There were times when it was fun, and there were times when we could have just not, and it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, like there's the chapter, the chapter after. So there's a section where you kind of get kidnapped, and they and um, the military mm -hmm. takes all your weapons away. Yeah. And the chapter following apprehension is the chapter. <laughs> When you get caught. And until you get them back, that whole seat, that there's like a whole chapter that's pretty much a platforming chapter. Yeah. And my goodness gracious. Yeah. You're platforming to get out of a trash compactor. You're platforming all over the place, slowly rearming yourself. I I mean, all the most egregious examples for me are all in Zen at oh, different yeah. points. Where you also have to deal with different gravity. My God. That one point when you have to jump off the mushroom cap onto the flying ravioli to take you <laughs> to the next platform. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't do that shit. Don't put that shit in your game. Yeah. Don't do that. This far in with bizarro gravity. Don't do that. Gabe. Yeah. Gabe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And we'll get don't to the most it. egregious part. <laughs> well, yeah. Later. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that for me was the one one of the major weak points about this game, the insistence on making us do platforming when your your game is not equipped for precision platforming. Can I say something though? Sure. Not the worst swimming. <laughs> Did I love fighting the ichthyosaur? Not really, but it didn't make me do that dumb bobbing stuff. It still is just like you sort of are still moving in whatever direction. Yeah. Not the, the worst swimming. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I agree. They they made good choices with the swimming to make it as easy as possible within the first person space. And there's not so much of it that you are ever going to have to do it for super long periods at a time. I mean, there there are some dives that it do, that don't make sense because like the, 
you know, Freeman would have no reason to believe that this will lead to anything but him drowning. Like, there's no reason to think that this leads anywhere, but at least they didn't make it an annoying, bobbing, swimming, breaststroke kind of thing. Right. So another thing I need to get your thoughts on are the weapons. Weapons are one of the most important parts of a first-person shooter. So were you satisfied with the weapons? Did they get weird enough for you? Was there enough variety? Was there any weapon that stood out that made you really excited? Was was there like your equivalent of the BFG for, <laughs> for a child me? I mean, there were definitely enough surprises in here for me. One of the one of the things that was weird about this is this is the only game I've ever played where the shotgun was my main, like the weapon that I'm holding all the time by default when I'm running around the hmm. hallways. Usually I go for things that are rapid fire so that I can mm-hmm. spray and pray a little bit more. This one, I was, whenever possible, I was using my shotgun. Hmm. And yeah, I think that's reflective of just like control or something like that. But there's some there's some fun surprises. The alien gun that shoots like fleas that like will. Oh, like that's the alien hand. Yeah. Pretty much that you like, <laughs> just put, as, like I don't know, like you got stick it off. on your hand. I like to think that it's like a big oven mitt that you put your <laughs> hand inside. <laughs> and it like squishes. And yeah, it launches these little tiny bug things that will latch onto whatever and, and follow them around and do damage over time. Um, I mean, getting that so great because up until that point, you've been getting weapons that are kind of increasing in power, but they're pretty normal weapons. Yeah. Right? You get your, yeah, like your pistol, your automatic, your shotgun, you get a crossbow. Yeah. And yeah. And then you pick up this thing that's like fleshy like, and you what? like stick it on your hand <laughs> and yeah, and start shooting these hornets or something. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, takes a minute to cool figure moment. out what they're even doing or how it works. Like, yeah, that stuff is fun. And then, you know, you pick... Classic Gordon Freeman, just like... What does this do? <laughs> <laughs> Learning nothing from the <laughs> from, Yeah, the opening, yeah. <laughs> just putting things in other things and seeing yep. what happens. Let's find out. I mean, speaking of which, one of the best weapons you get when you walk past some dumb, dumb scientist being like, oh, what does this do? Oh, careful not to overcharge it. And then blasting a hole in the wall and blowing themselves up and you just go and pick up the weapon they dropped and they're like nice nice (laughs) leave with this like i'll use this i will say about the big weapons i man my rpg hoarding is so hard to shake it took me so long to be like you know what we are facing a huge guy we don't have to use the shotgun for this we can upgrade to something bigger we got missiles we got this weird like nuclear laser <laughs> thing that we, you know, like we've got the sci-fi weapons. We don't have to just like pistol whip him until he goes down. Okay. So, so the, yeah, your tendency was to just hold on like ammo oh, yeah. hard and okay. Until oh, you yeah. really needed them. Big time, big yeah. time. Yeah. And even actually uh, sometimes if I was getting low on shotgun ammo, I would switch to the pistol or even just the crowbar. If I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, if it's like a head crab or just little stuff that's around, I'm going to conserve my ammo and just take them out with this because I want to make sure I have the shotgun for when mm-hmm. like shit goes down. Yeah, so I need to know your thoughts on the crowbar because the crowbar is really the iconic Half-Life weapon. Oh, really? Um, yeah, at least. So in Half-Life 2, you get a weapon that is a gravity gun that also becomes iconic in its own way. Okay. But really, yeah, the weapon that people associate with Half-Life is the crowbar. I mean, that makes sense. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah. I got a lot (laughs) done with that crowbar, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, it's like surprisingly versatile. It's surprisingly powerful, especially at the beginning. It's your your best friend. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in terms of weapon progression, you get to do that weapon progression thing twice because when you get apprehended in the middle of the game, you're stripped down to no weapons. What do you have? What do you find immediately? Your mm-hmm. trusty crowbar. And immediately, I'm just like, 
I'm Gordon Freeman, baby. I'm back in business. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go kill some guys and get my shit back. Yeah, I actually really love that you pretty much get the majority of the weapons yeah. and then they immediately take them away from you and you start from zero again with the crowbar. Yeah. And I, I love that the crowbar is useful throughout the game. Yeah. And it kind of turns up the pressure again, because at that point, you know, the second time that you're unarmed and back to the crowbar, it's different from the first time because now you know how big the threat is. You've mm -hmm. got army guys everywhere. Like you're not running through an office building where everyone is basically trying to figure out how to get out together. And there's like a couple of small aliens. It's like you're at full, full power invasion and trying to like solid snake your way through a base to like get your get your stuff back. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. It feels so good to crowbar guys when they've got huge guns. <laughs> Yeah, and each each getting each new gun feels so special and good because really that's the only way that you increase your power level in this game. Yeah. Again, broken record, but I can't tell you how refreshing it felt to not have upgrade trees or experience <laughs> or loot drops in this first person shooter. The only upgrades you get are better guns and that you really just have to become versatile and creative with the use of those tools feels so good. It, I, it's one of those things where it just feels so refreshing to go back to basics. Sure. Um, yeah, I can see that. I think in the same way, Half-Life and this model of first-person shooter has become so dominant that going back to basics with the new Dooms that go back to that id software mm. run-and-gun style, those feel so refreshing now for people. Right. Because we've just been in this mold, this Half-Life mold for so long. But yeah, like I, I think games in general are ready for some back-to-basics um, to freshen things up a bit. I mean, I hear what you're saying, <laughs> and I respect it, but... I do also love I love skill trees. Oh, you! I can't help it. You love that everything's love becoming an long RPG. Menus that I have <laughs> to dig through and assign skill points. Not that. Listen, I I agree with you. This game did not suffer for sure for not having that stuff. I didn't miss it. It was okay. I just you know, it's not across the board. Up inherently, there are pleasures to be had there. I think sometimes your skills peak. With you at the beginning, sometimes, this <laughs> or sometimes you have to bring the skills. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's nothing under the hood that's manipulating that to uh, at all make you more powerful or capable as you go on. Yeah, I just think not every game needs a skill tree. This sure. is this is one of the theses of so far sure. my rants on this show. <laughs> Number one, everything is a Metroidvania. Number two, not everything needs a skill tree. Those are our theses of this season. If in Metroid Prime 4, Samus has all these new skill trees, <laughs> I might scream. Uh, speaking of Super Metroid, though. Um, <laughs> okay, I don't know where this is going. Metroid had great music. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> this game had great. Yeah, this game had great music. This game, I think, actually, more so than having good music, deployed its music so well. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because it gives you so much space where there's really nothing or what there is is so minimal that it's essentially not there. It's not really present. And there'll just be certain points, and they're not even always big, huge, massive um, plot points, but just when something turns, something happens, and then you'll get that swell and that music kicking in, and it feels so good. The first time you put on the the um the like hazmat suit in the in like the very first chapter, you get into this like this little like rock industrial <laughs> thing going in. Like there's so many good moments when it kicks in. And one of the most effective to me is 
when you are in the process of trying to get the, to the surface for the first time and you've you've been all the scientists have been telling you that the army guys are coming and they're going to help you you just have to try to get to the surface to meet them and then you're going to be safe and you're getting closer and closer and you sort of turn a corner you're getting so close to the elevator it's going to take you to the surface and you turn the corner and you see these military guys massacre these scientists and you realize it doesn't there's no you don't like hear the guys going, oh, we're here to take all of you out. You just like, <laughs> you just know. They you do know say that later though. Yeah, well, they do later. But in that moment, you just know like, oh my God, they're going to purge us all. And so you kill those guys and you get in this elevator and you're going up to the surface where you know all the army guys are going to be. And this like nuclear mission jam song, sounds like it's from <laughs> Mission Impossible, kicks in and you're just like, oh my God. I'm going to murder them. And like, it's so fun. You just feel like that, like adrenaline rush of like, it's just me. It's just me. I got to take all these guys on. Um, and it, it's, it's just so, so good. Uh, relatedly, the gonad, no, the go, gonad. the gonark, the gonark, the gonark, like the big, like pregnant mother head crab. Yeah. Boss. Yes. Yes. The testicle on spider legs. Sure. Yeah. Its song is the scariest thing in this entire game. It is so scary. It's got like um, a heffalump from Winnie the Pooh vibe, the song. It's like, donkey, donkey, donkey. Like, it's like a weird, somewhat clap. Like, I don't know why. It's just awful. Like, I was re-listening to the soundtrack um, yesterday or the day before getting ready to record this. And as soon as that song came on... I, I just like my whole body tensed up and I was just like, no, it's too creepy. Um, so there's just, it's, you know, it's not everywhere. It's not overdone, but there's mm -hmm. some selective moments where the the game is going to like rise up to meet you with something really solid. And I, I just enjoyed it so much. Every time it happened, I was like, I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm having a good time right now. <laughs> Except with the gonad. <laughs> that Half-Life is most known for and one of the reasons it's so influential and is seen as so transformative it's is because of its approach to storytelling. Right, right. This is this is probably the place where I felt the biggest distance between mm. Half-Life and something like uh, Quake 2 uh, or the older games that we played is in terms of environmental storytelling and yeah, so structure. What, yeah, so what do you mean by that when you say environmental storytelling? Sure. I mean, Part of it is the kind of characterization of the space that goes into some of the stuff we talked about earlier with level design, which is like having a sense of this being a, a lived in space. Um, I mean, things like in the office space, when you get set up, you don't have to notice, but can notice there's these three like stripes on the wall that each are color coded to go to a different zone or like set of mm -hmm. labs within the the working area and they continue along the walls like you can follow them they're sort of your informal map nothing you know there's not like a hot spot there that you go over and and click to notice you you sort of can just figure it out or not things like 
seeing the army guy shoot the scientist and, you know, having to make sense of that. Things like putting together the fact that there were all these experiments going on with creatures from Zen long before this accident that opened up the portal, right? Um, there's just so much that you have to you have to go slow. You have to listen to what characters are saying to each other, even if you know they're going to die or you're going to take them <laughs> out. You like you you hear like audio of soldiers, walkie talkies, commanders coming through, telling them, "Okay, get out of there. We're going to be bombing the place in." whatever in 10 minutes like set your last ordinance and get out and so you know what their plan is it just there's so much built into the design of the space that tells you what's going on in the world yeah right like you have to pay attention to the space itself that the the way the space is set up tells part of the story but yeah. the other thing you mentioned is that all the exposition takes place within the world also right the one thing that half-life did so differently is that it tells a story without the use of a single cutscene. yeah and that that was at the time revolutionary in a lot of ways is still kind of revolutionary. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, kind of the thing that felt more fresh to me is there's also no there's not really like a ton of notes lying around mm -hmm. that you have to pick up and read. You know, it's not an audio log game. Right. Because, again, when you got back into games, it was at a kind of peak audio log. Yeah. Or notes. Yeah. Or notes. And so about. a thing I like about this is if you're not using your head or if you're rushing you know, if you have those two soldiers having a conversation and they start talking about something you need to know about, if you whip around that corner and kill them, they stop mid-sentence and you don't ever <laughs> find out what it was they were going to say. That's <laughs> gone. That's done. So always being really careful and, and really con conscious of what's going on around you is really key to keeping some of the nuances of what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think you could still progress through this game at a pretty sure. brisk pace. And, you know, you like fight your way through a bunch of levels and then there's army guys and you fight them, like whatever. But a lot of the fun in this game and a lot of the, the sort of texture of it is missable and embedded and mm -hmm. um, happens in the time that it's going to happen and does not happen again. Yeah, like there's so much care put into this world. And the one thing that I love about it, and again, even feels fresh today, is that everything that we see exists in the world. Mm -hmm. Like your HUD exists in the world. Like you're supposed to think that like Gordon Freeman sees what you see in terms yeah. of all that, like the feedback of the HUD. The tutorial exists in the world. Yeah. It's, your, it's your first day at work your training. Onboarding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's your onboarding. It's just that care to make sure that you feel like you you exist within the world of Half-Life is is still pretty special, I think. And similarly, even though the plot of the game is pretty sparse, it does so much world building through the vignettes that you kind of see throughout. And, the, and so much of its storytelling is so impactful where you just kind of go into a room and it might introduce an enemy because you'll see it attack a scientist through through a glass window. Yeah. Or you'll walk into a room and you'll see a barnacle suck up a, a scientist into the ceiling. Oh, my God. The barnacles are the single scariest thing in this entire game. There is a visceral disgust, I feel, for the barnacles. <laughs> I, The first experience of seeing someone get sucked up and then it chews them for a second and then just bloody <laughs> parts just fall back down, like... Also, getting caught by them and just feeling yourself being like cranked up, and you can mm. look up and you just see oh, yeah. the like clamping like <laughs> mouth cut. Like it's, they're so scary. They're so scary. They're so alien. They are such an impactful, specific kind of bad guy. They're not like, oh, just this thing that shoots at you or shoots lasers or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's, there's really something there that just is 
horrifying, yeah. awful, <laughs> just terrible. Yeah. And like you said, there is something about seeing the effect of enemies on other characters before you have to encounter them, right? Mm-hmm. That really amps up the horror. And again, wouldn't work if it was just done in a cut scene. Absolutely. It, and especially because in a lot of these situations, you can impact what happens. Like you can you can walk into a scene and if you're quick enough, you might be able to save some of the scientists. You can shoot the barnacle while it's sucking somebody up and potentially stop it. You have to be pretty quick and you have to give a shit about those scientists. (laughs) Which you didn't, but... Well, I would argue the game doesn't. (laughs) Again, it's creating the sense of you being part of this narrative. Yeah. And then, of course, there are all your encounters with the G-Man. I hate him. (laughs) (laughs) I hate him so much there's the the defining one for me uh, i mean he's there right from your training sequence and you and you noticed him pretty early and wanted you were asking me like what's up with this guy yeah because he's wearing like a navy suit he's like tall he's like a slender man ass dude <laughs> with a briefcase and everyone else is in like scientist mm-hmm. gear like he clearly is something else boy is he something else uh, the defining thing was relatively early in the game at one point. I, I was fleeing from something and got to a point that felt like a dead end. And it's it's like two doors that are locked, but they have a glass window so you can see through it. And uh, G-Man is just standing on the other side looking mm-hmm. right at you. And you, you, you like kind of bang on the door. And he just looks and he just picks up his briefcase and turns around and calmly walks away. And I was like, I'm going to murder you. Like I was so mad. I was like... <laughs> this guy whatever it is with this guy and again imagine how less powerful those scenes would be if they were just like a cut scene you just cut to this guy looking at you and then you cut back to you or if he said anything if he was Mm -hmm. like "Mm, the experiment is proceeding (laughs) you know what i mean like that that cheesy like villain dialogue Mm -hmm. that is like everything according to play like i hate that is perfect he just is like in his suit and he just sees you and chooses not to help and leave Ugh. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm sure there are times he appeared that you didn't notice. Him. Oh, a hundred percent. But yeah, there's that faith in the put in the player that they are going to notice this, and there doesn't have to be uh, hitting you over the head with what this is. That yeah, you just see him enough times, and you ask questions, and you're kind of creeped out by this guy. Yeah, it and it's fun that it can communicate that that difference in the status of different people in the world in a way that matters. And another thing that I think differentiates Half-Life from some of its forebears, and to be fair, I only played the first 20, 30 Mm -hmm. minutes of these games. Like, I don't know if they do some more sophisticated stuff in the back half. You know, I could easily believe that. But, you know, in this pretty quickly, we understand the difference between different scientists and security and these army guys. There's different factions. There's different types of the army guys. The difference between the Lambda scientists and the other ones. Mm -hmm. Even differentiation within the... The aliens, like I, I appreciated that so much. It's not a, it's not a simple. Oh, if it's an alien, it's a monster, and it's bad. And if it's a human, it's an ally, and we're gonna mm-hmm. fight together. Like you have to watch so much more what people are doing, where they're going, what they're interested in, what they're saying, how they're dressed, all that stuff. And also, it allows for one of the most fun things, which is setting the aliens and the army guys off yes, against each yes, other. Yes. Hell yeah. Unleashing those really big boy aliens, those like <laughs> massive ones on like... The ones whose hand you have that shoots the... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just like sending a bunch of those big brutes into zones full of army guys and tanks and stuff and just letting it all happen. Sneaking through the back. Oh, it's good. Yeah. it's. I think this is something the game does to make sure that Gordon isn't 
really the center of every other character's narrative. There's so much that's happening around him at all times. He's just going along his own narrative, but within a world where things are reacting to everything else, not just waiting for him and reacting to him. Yeah, like it's a surprise and a turning point that the military pulls out at one point, And it's not because you like beat them. They just like realize the facility is lost and they're just like bugging out. But you're still going to stay and deal with shit. It's just like they they have their priorities and they're like they're leaving. Um, I do think that Freeman does not feel very much like a scientist who worked at this facility once the action guy stuff gets going i think like this is not an example where like to me it was weird every time you were like you had been being action guy for a while and then you had to do something that reminded you like oh yeah gordon's a scientist Mm -hmm. like where it would be like oh we need you to go launch this shuttle into space like it was weird you would get to the control booth and he would know what to do and i was like what (laughs) like because he he so quickly i mean it's very fun when you just have your crowbar and you're just dealing with shit. But like, you know, by a chapter or two later, like you're mowing things down. You're you're dealing with stuff. Everyone starts treating you like you're special. Like, Gordon, you made it this far. Or like, I heard you were like making your way to the Lambda complex. Or all the army guys are constantly talking about you. You can hear them talking to each other on their their. Yeah, I don't know how everybody talking. knows his name. And like, sometimes his name is scrawled on the walls. Yeah, there's like graffiti that's like, you're dead Freeman. And it's like spelt wrong. Do you think they just are calling you like, you're because you're, like, you're Freeman and they just don't put enough, they put too much space or they don't put enough. No, like, I think it's just video game stuff. Okay. He's a, he's a free man. He, yes. Well, not, not by the end, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think like. This is one of the this is one of the things I, I don't care that much. But so, I mean, that goes back to. So remember last time we talked about uh, Gabe Newell talking about first person shooters in general, and he made the point that uh, most first person shooters just appeal to one sense of mastery. And it's all about mastering the space and shooting mm-hmm. up the space and that he wanted to create something that appeals to different player fantasies. Do you feel that he succeeded or do you feel that by the end it was just the same kind of mastery narrative? I have mixed feelings about this. I think I think it's much closer to the mastery narrative than he says in this quote that he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the design choices still support your mastery. Um, but that said, there are definitely there are definitely regular bad guys in this that you would be foolish to try to fight every one of. Mm-hmm. There's definitely You can easily be overwhelmed in this. There is genuine risk. There are so many instances where, you know, really, again, in that instance where you have a couple of those huge aliens and like a whole platoon of army guys, it's like, I'm sure there's someone out there who could take those people all on in this game and kill them all. I am not she. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, For me, it's going to be about causing the chaos and then sneaking through. Uh, and more so as you get into Zen, because that's really where you feel you are alone, you are outnumbered, like there's it's you and this world. And so I think it's I think it's mixed. That's that's a mixed result for me. And so at these moments when you did kind of feel outnumbered, overwhelmed, was it due to kind of the quantity of bad guys or is it due to the enemy AI, which is the other thing that we talked about last time, <laughs> right? The, the Promoting the game as having these enemies that work in tandems. Is that something you noticed or did it all feel like one onslaught of, of enemy? Uh, no, it, it felt different. So I would say most of the aliens did not feel like they had different AI. They just felt like they were yeah, going to do what they were going to do. I agree with that. And actually, 
felt like the game, the second that the kind of human enemies were taken out of the game, the combat became much less interesting. I agree with that. Um, I think there were instances, especially with the army guys, when I saw them actually working together mm -hmm. in a group, particularly that there'd be a couple who were who would be sort of holed up a little further back with longer range weapons while I would be sort of in a hidey hole trying to get at them. And then some other guys would ambush me up close and they'd sort of distract me. Well, you know, like there was some right or they'd use their grenades to, to try to flush to, you yeah, out. Flush you out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly the assassins have the best AI. Oh, yeah. The assassins, the uh, <laughs> from those promos, what we think would be the most prominent enemy yeah. in the game. There's like six of them in total. Um, which is good because they still they felt special whenever you were in like a duel with them. It, it was like, oh, ooh, one of these. Um, oh, so something else that I that I should tell you is that if you play on the harder difficulty levels. Um, so, again, I didn't see this, but because I, I, I played on normal, but I think on harder or anything more difficult, they're invisible. Oh, that would be very hard. Yeah. Indeed. So they're smart. They have actually, I think, pretty good AI. They. You know, you can't do the thing where you just hole up and wait for them to get impatient and creep towards you enough that you can take them out. Like these were very constantly on the run, being very aware of your surroundings, really tactical battles that I did enjoy. They were a challenge every time. They felt good. They're they're also kind of creepy. Like you don't know where they are until you just hear the like little footsteps running up. Mm. Like all like they're they're spooky. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they aren't, they aren't as big of a part of this game as I was really expecting, but that's a space where I felt like, okay, this AI is not just aggro with no strategy. You know, we've been talking a lot about how you've been, you know, moving through the space and fighting all these enemies, but I, I forgot to ask you about what it felt like playing this game with mouse and keyboard for the oh, first yeah. time. Uh, mappability. Let's talk about being able to configure. So I don't, I've never gotten deep into configuring your controls for yourself on this any is, console game. This games. is your first big takeaway? Honestly, kind of. <laughs> I, I was like, whoa, I can just set this up so it feels right. And put there's that, so many options on the keyboard. Put that quick save right at that enter key <laughs> yeah. on the side. Quick load, easy to hit, that right tab. So maybe, yeah, maybe we should talk about that. Right? <laughs> One thing about PC games is that they make save scumming really easy. I love it. I love it. I did it so much. I relied on it for so many things in this game. I know there's arguments that it counts as cheating. I don't know how you get through these games in any other way. And it's like the game allows you to do it. It allows you to save really quickly. You can save and load very quickly in and out. Listen. Ma makes your life easier. You're welcome to not do it if you think that it's cheating. <laughs> I think that it's what I'm going to do forever. <laughs> yeah. But what was the experience of using the mouse to look and shoot and the keyboard to move for the first time, especially since you're so used to just moving through 3D space with dual analog sticks? Okay, I got to tell you, shooting is so much easier. Yes. <laughs> Aiming, incredible with the mouse. Although I did find on this, um, pretty often the reticle would get lost. Like I wouldn't be able to make out exactly where, you know, I know mm -hmm. it's the center of my screen, but like when you're trying to hit something mm -hmm. pretty far away. So that occasionally was hard, but like, Oh my God, you can move, you can be so much faster. You see like, the appeal now? Holy, yeah. I thought so much about your anecdote about how, you know, this sort of mouse and keyboard style emerged out of like one player figuring out that they could reconfigure this way so that the mouse was for aiming and shooting. Yeah, like competitive players yeah. are, are figured it out, right? Because like, it made that them more perfect. Immediately more competitive. <laughs> right. And this is one of the big arguments against letting players on the PC play against players on console online because the PC players are at such an advantage. I get it now. I yeah. get it. And yeah, I was really surprised. I mean, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but just 
it, you were just you just took to it so naturally. It was like yeah, you kind of felt like oh, this this makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the combo of strafing and forward and back and aiming and all that felt really. Um, I feel like I say fluid every single episode, but it felt good. It felt organic, like like um, spinning and shooting and kind of edging around around the side, around corners, um, doing that strafe and turn to get your angles and get a vantage point on things. Um, it just comes together, honestly, really well. Uh, I'm surprised how comfortable it was. I can see why this is so popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one day we'll have to get you playing a first-person shooter on the Wii, or maybe if something comes to Switch, because um, there is an argument that use that the closest the consoles have ever come to mimicking mouse and keyboard is using like the Wii Wii Remote motion control. Oh, and I did play Metroid Prime Three that way, and it does feel it does feel pretty fluid. So maybe one day we can uh, hook you up with that and you can compare. Um, but now that you've actually played this game and and really your first full fledged first-person shooter proper. Um, do you have any new thoughts on the first-person perspective? Last time we talked about different theories about what the first-person perspective allows. You mentioned that you really do prefer third-person. Any new insights or revelations after actually playing through Half-Life? Um, not, not really. <laughs> I kind of think this game would have been fine in third for the most part. <laughs> like, you know, there there's some little things, and it would mean some adjustments. But I, it's hard for me to think of too much you couldn't tweak. Like, I think. This game isn't really a game about things sneaking up on you or like a super. What about the head crabs, though? Yeah. Okay. So they them flying at your face. Like there are horror elements to this game where it is about building tension in that way. But for me, the horror was so much more environmental. Like I don't think mm. head crabs jumping at you was the is the real meat God. there. Michelle, not scared of head crabs. Loves Zen. No, they're they're creepy. I don't know. <laughs> this is the hottest take on Half Life. Right here. Whoops. Um, I mean, they're scary. They're just it's not the it's not the um the soul of the the horror thing spirit that's in this game. Um I I guess I just like I didn't have a super kinetic combat style in this, and I wonder if that's related to just how I chose to play. Like I did not really dip back into the id software style. Uh, sort of run and gun mm-hmm. fight approach, except for in a couple of cases where the game really corners you into it, usually by just being swarmed by enemies right. where like you just can't stay put. Yeah. And again, especially towards the end of the game, it's, yeah. it's doing that. You don't really have an option. But for the most part, I'm trying to choose smart stakeout points. I'm edging around corners. I'm I'm using obstacles to be in between me and the threat to sort of control where the threat is coming from. Okay, I mean, that sounds... So remember last time, like, the the ads and Gabe Newell would often talk about this as being, like, a thinking person shooter, right? It's not just yeah. run, shoot, run, shoot, run, yep. shoot. It was... I can't remember what the ad was, but it was, like, run, stop, do all these other really smart things, and yeah. then shoot. So it sounds like you were playing it as it was intended to be played as, as the developers would hope you would play it. Yeah. Uh, listening, we talked about a bunch, is also in the mix here. You know? Yeah. And um, so you just think that those things, that style of play lends itself better to third person than first? I think it could have done fine in third. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I'm sort of agnostic on which is better, but I think a lot of things that we identified as being really the defining strengths of first, we didn't necessarily need as much here as I was expecting to. Hmm. Um you know, I wasn't I wasn't flying through spaces in this propulsive sort of way. I mean, one one funny thing that I've been thinking of uh, is I'm kind of glad that I couldn't see 
Freeman in this game because I think it would have been weird to have to like <laughs> see him and be like, oh yeah, he's just some scientist with that goatee and the glasses. With that, so that you know he's an intellectual <laughs> and not just some grand. You know, like I think. Yeah, in a weird way, I was grateful not to have him on screen because I think it would have heightened the weirdness of that. So you're grateful that it was in first person so you didn't have to look at Gordon Freeman's face is what you're saying. <laughs> Partially, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's, I don't I don't know that my, I feel not intimidated by first person anymore if to the extent okay. that I ever did. Um, but I don't know that I'm persuaded that it is a necessary element of this specific game. I think possibly... The only true pure case for first person that I have come across still is like a survival horror type thing. I mean, I think back to the the first few chapters and, and that's kind of the experience that it was for me. And that was because it was first person, like running through the collapsing facility is so disorienting. And part of that disorientation was for me built into the first person's perspective. Hmm. I don't think having the field of vision that a third person perspective would have given me and like the mastery over the space and and seeing my surroundings and seeing kind of what's behind me or at least to the sides of me and seeing how the space is laid out that a third person perspective offers would have made me feel at all disoriented or kind of apprehensive hmm. of moving through that space. I think that's for me tied directly to the first person. Do I wish it went into third person when it wanted me to jump across things? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh but I yeah, I really I really do think this game would feel different if it was if it was third person i don't think it would work quite as well or i don't think it would have kind of the same emotional impact especially during those those sequences when things are so unknown and things are so chaotic and frantic yeah i suppose i can see that but yeah i get that maybe first first person just isn't your preferred way to play <laughs> it's um, fine yeah but uh, let's take a quick break here and let's come back and talk about some specifics. I want to talk about the opening sequence. Yes. That is kind of legendary. And uh, I want to talk about some of our favorite and maybe least favorite chapters. And of course, we'll talk about Zen and the final boss. Nice. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> back. So over the break, I was actually thinking that maybe your preference for third person over first has to do with the fact that your gaming history is mostly console based. Hmm. Um, because yeah, the more I think about it, right, first person, as you've kind of admitted and acknowledged, works so much better with the mouse and keyboard. Oh, God, it's so much easier. <laughs> and And third person works so much better with a controller. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if just kind of being accustomed to the controller and finding it so much easier to move with a controller does kind of predispose you to to enjoying things in, in third person. Yeah, I actually, as much as I'm sort of a console person historically, I do remember a specific instance in the last week or two, actually, when I saw an ad for a new game that's coming out and I caught myself thinking... Maybe I'll play that on PC, actually. You don't remember what it was? Something I, first person, I guess? I want to say there's a 
there's a chance it was Cyberpunk 2077 because oh. that is a mm. first person. Yeah, it's not a first person shooter, but you shoot and it's first person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I just started to be like, hmm, what if I don't have to uh, struggle with console aiming anymore? <laughs> <laughs> what about that? <laughs> I've seen a better way to live now. <laughs> and the other thing, and maybe one way to really get us thinking about why first person does lend itself better to certain games and certain sequences is this thing that we've been alluding to the whole time that we finally need to talk about is the opening sequence of this game. Yeah. Which would not work if this was a third person game. Yeah. It's essentially Black Mesa, the Disney ride version. Yes. Like it's your, it's like one of those Disney rides where you're in a cart on a rail and you're like going through and looking at the different scenes that are set out. Yeah, for it's you. a dark ride of Black Mesa. Yeah, um, and you're you're passing, you know, at this variety of of mundane and interesting that you, a guy is locked out of an office door. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the little vignettes. There's like kind of basic robots moving stuff around. There's cargo. Like it's it's just like scenes of a working facility that you're being you're riding through on this tram listening to announcements about how black mesa is hiring uh, can't <laughs> <Right>. imagine why <laughs> uh do is they the- have a turnover problem <laughs> i don't know so what did you think about this as an introduction to the game it's cool i like it um it, it gives you some time to sit in the space i like having that that moment to listen and watch what's happening you see the g-man already right i, I mean i don't I don't know how I can communicate how influential and unique this was yeah. at the time that this this opening, the fact that it takes its time, the fact that it's not a cutscene, but that you're still and that you're in control the whole time. Yeah, you can move around, look out different parts of the little trolley thing that you're on. The developers have mentioned that the effect that they were going for is that they were hoping players would assume it was a cutscene mm. and then discover as it was going on that, oh, my God, I can actually move around and this is <laughs> happening. I'm kind of inhabiting this world. And I think it's still very effective as, as an opening. Yeah. It's kind of setting a tone, really easing you in so that when aliens do start invading the space, it kind of comes as a, a more abrupt surprise. Realistically, this would be incredibly annoying to have to take this trip into work every day. <laughs> That's what I, I mean, thinking. everything about working in this facility would be annoying. When you finally get where you're going, the security guard comes to like open your, makes you wait while the security guard walks over and he starts, good morning, Mr. Freeman. Looks like you're running late, which first of all, bitch, this game just told me it's 847. I'm not <laughs> late for anything. That is a reasonable time to start work. But yeah, it, it's just this, um, this really slow, gradual, like there's a tedium to it mm-hmm. almost that is supportive of where the game is going i mean even once you get off that little bit and you're sort of going through the the office space before you go mm-hmm. down to the test site you go to gordon freeman's locker in the mm-hmm. locker room you know he opens his locker you see what's in it which includes by the way a photo of a child is, really yeah there's there's a picture of a kid that i was like oh is he a dad and then never brought up again <laughs> the entire rest of the thing who knows? It's not necessarily like his. <laughs> it's just weird. It's just like a because I was looking at it specifically being like, oh, here's where we're going to see. Like, give me that characterization mm-hmm. of who this person is, which this does kind of tie into my sense that I didn't really get a strong character orientation from mm-hmm. Freeman. You know, the, this like I talked right. about this, like scientist who becomes like John McClane kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's it's a little whatever, whatever. Yeah. The most really you learn about his character is what his morning routine is yeah at work like that's kind of what you learn yeah and that he's uh preternaturally good with a gun it turns <laughs> out 
So yeah, I think we both agree that the opening, and I'd even say the opening few chapters really do a great job of setting the tone. Absolutely. Um, But I asked us to kind of brainstorm some of our favorite and least favorite chapters, and one chapter did stand out for both of us yeah. as as pretty superlative, which was the blast pit. Absolutely. This one. So this for me is the pinnacle of a couple of things that this game does really well. One, it's a chapter with such a clear mission structure. The thing that you're going to do in this chapter is figure out how to turn on this huge blasting device so that you can blast this massive alien that is protruding through this one particular space. Yeah. So first of all, were you surprised when you saw that, you know, when you see that alien tentacle come out and, and kill the scientists, were you surprised that there were, that this was what the scenario would be, that there's going to be something kind of that massive that you'd have to contend with this early on in the game? I mean, I thought it was cool. I don't know how, I think like some other games have ruined me a bit for scale. Mm. I think like, you know, it's not the size of a Colossus. Oh my it's, God. <laughs> no, but but yeah, I, yeah. I mean this sincerely though. Like I, I, I thought it was very cool. This is such a well-executed version of having like one extra huge thing that intrudes into the space. Mm-hmm. I do, it's referred to as a tentacle monster everywhere. I just want to clarify, I don't really think these are tentacles. They're more like a long claw. They don't have the dexterity or the, the movement okay. um, flexibility that an a actual, you know, biological tentacle would have. But, but, but. So it's these protruding long, we'll just keep calling them tentacles for whatever. It's what the game says. Um, the coolest thing about this to me is that you you start out avoiding these things. Like you're kind of like, you have to get through this room where, again, you see a guy taken out by one of the tentacles before you come mm-hmm. through. You see it grab a guy and drag it into the pit. And you start out avoiding the space, but then you realize you're actually going to have to climb down through the chamber where this thing is to get to the guts of the machines that you can get things active again and blast it to hell. And that just forcing you to go straight into mm-hmm. that space that feels so dangerous and so tense is And before great. you do that is you run up against another one of those Barneys who tells you that it seems like the monster is blind. Yeah. But if you just rush past them and miss that bit of information, you're kind of screwed. And he is essentially a one-hit kill. Like, if he... If he gets you with one of his tentacles, mm. it you, I forget if it's an absolute one hit kill or if it's just like, you know, you're functionally mm-hmm. toast. But yeah, so you have you have a couple choices for how to get through there. You can stealth by just walking really slowly and carefully, being really careful on ladders, how you get on and off them because you have to descend down a couple levels. You also can handle it by uh, throwing a grenade or whatever over to the side so it makes big noise when it, ex- it explodes. Mm-hmm. And then the tentacles sort of like go after that thing and you can make your run for it. A thing that I also really like about this, good sound editing, like the clang that mm-hmm. they make when they hit. It's this full metal chamber that they're in and it makes such a huge noise. It's louder than any gunshot in the game. It's enormous. Mm-hmm. Like it feels so impactful. It's so strong. Yeah, there's so much that's good about this chapter. There's so much variety within the chapter itself Mm -hmm. in that it starts off with a short vehicle sequence. And yeah, then there's this amazing reveal of this monster. And then you come to the sudden realization that, oh, this is going to be more of a almost a puzzle sequence. There's stealth elements. You go into the sewers at some point. (laughs) You ride up a huge fan, like the air from the airport. Yeah, like like Willy Wonka style (laughs) going up. This is also a chapter that for me is um, one of the best combinations of like realistic office space Mm. and like video game ass bullshit. 
like you both have sequences where you're very much like creeping through the hallways and navigating, you know, platforms and stairwells mm-hmm. that have sort of collapsed in this research facility. And then also you you like ride a fan, up to, <laughs> right. you know, like yeah. it, it has like a, a sort of mm-hmm. um, surreal playfulness that I also appreciated in in this game that up to this point has been really grounded in, mm-hmm. in the spaces it's offering you. Yeah, one of the things I did find a bit strange is that the following chapter is the power-up chapter, which is also dedicated to killing a single large enemy. Yeah. Like, that's where you have to fight their gargantuan and you have yeah. to electrocute them. I found that a bit weird for the pacing because we just did a mm. better version of, like, that premise right. in the Blast Pit chapter. I mean, I think that chapter wants to be about powering up this cart thing you're going to get on. And I think I think the chapter misunderstands what will be most important or feel most pressing to the player about that mm. structure. Because uh, I do agree that it's the, I forget if it's called a gargantua, but it's the, the big. Yeah, big, the gargantua. Big old beastie. He's, yeah. about, he's about two Gordon Freemans tall. Um, and who's also pretty much a one-hit kill if yeah, and yeah, you can't yeah. kill him apart from electrocuting him. Yeah. So it's, a, it's another boss puzzle sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty right back to back with real, a really, I'd say, more effective one. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, like you said, it's still going down into the pit while the claws are like clanging. It's still terrifying. It's one of the most memorable things from this game. It's like experientially one of the things that I will take with me out of this game most clearly. Mm. Yeah, just so much great design, so much jam-packed into a chapter that's actually not that long. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because I think we both agree that um, (laughs) some of the chapters overstay their welcome by like an hour and a half. So much, (laughs) so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's two in particular for this. Um, one being surface tension, which is a later chapter that just goes on for like, oh, so I, it's a quarter of, of the game. <laughs> that's actually one of my favorite chapters. So we'll get to, okay. yeah, maybe we can get to that. It's long. It, it is long. It not, is long. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. It just should have been probably two chapters. Or three. Yeah. But the one that I really want to call out as being like, probably the only point in this game where I was really like. We need to move this along. Mm. Like, you need to get me out of here, uh, which is the chapter on a rail, which follows the chapter with the gargantua. So this one, the premise is you're on like a little, okay, like picture those old, um, old timey railroad tracks. Is it like a minecart? Yeah, where you have to pump that there's two guys, you have to pump them. So you don't actually have to do that. It's (laughs) electronic, but it's just like this little dinky cart that's on a rail. You Mm -hmm. won't be surprised to hear. And the whole gambit of the chapter is... You are taking this little cart around. There's all these different p- places where the the rail splits off into different directions. It's kind of a maze, but you have to get off the cart and go into these spaces to like uh, push buttons on machines to change where the cart's going to go. It's a whole thing. It just, it's samey. It goes on too long. And the best thing that happened in it is when I realized I could just get off the cart and walk. So I did most of this. I I struggled getting the stupid little cart around. Again, there's like not a map. It just it it's just it all looks the same. It's cement tunnels. Right. And shoot and so starting and stopping the vehicle is a is a bit annoying. Yeah. And then sometimes to change tracks, you have to shoot a little sign or else you just go in circles. It's and so you have to dumb. try to aim while on this thing that's already a little bit difficult to control. Sometimes there's armies on your, the army guys are on your flanks. Yeah, it's just like it, it gets a little bit uh, carnival game-ish and not mm, in a good mm-hmm. way. It just feels like juvenile and underbaked for for how strong a lot of the rest of the chapters are in this game. And, and truly, 
The best thing that ever happened is I realized there was no specific reason why I needed a cart for most of it and just mm. got off and started running around because I could get past the points where there was like a a little barrier if I was just on foot. And then I think I commandeered another cart from some some uh, army guys close to the end because you do need it for the last little stretch. Mm. But yeah, it it just it's such a long stretch of just like shoot the guys, press the button. Was that the right button? I don't know. Let's go take the cart. No, this was the wrong button. Let's go back. Like it, it yeah. just it's a little joyless. Get off the cart, clear the area so you can get yeah. back on the cart and get through the yeah. shot. Yeah. It's on the one hand, yeah, again, want to commend them for having a core idea that they clear vision of what this chapter is. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's a, it's an example of an idea that at, on the one hand is like underdeveloped but also way overdeveloped. <laughs> At the yeah. same time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let, what are your beefs with um, surface tension? Because I, again, I do agree that it's, inc- this is, I think, the longest chapter in the game. It is so, so long. Yeah. But I really love it, especially that first half. So this is when you finally escape the facility mm-hmm. and you kind of end up on this dam, which reminds me of Goldeneye, which might be why I really like this. <laughs> okay. But it really gives you a sense of freedom. It just feels like the game has opened up immensely. And you can jump down cliffs. You can start sniping the military dudes. You have so much more range of freedom with how you're going to tackle this space. Um, There are a bunch of different areas you kind of have to visit. But you can visit them in different orders and kind of clear out those areas, which I really like. You get to take down the helicopter. Yep, that's important. So I think I think the main weakness of this chapter for me, to, even though I liked a lot of stuff in it, is that it doesn't have that coherence for me. Um, it's it's a place where this is right before we get to the Lambda facility, right? We're clearing some stuff out to get to. There's a few between there. You're, yeah. you're still on your way. Right. There's so much that happens in this chapter. There's just, <laughs> right. Because this is also the chapter where you get into like this puzzle room full of tripwires and you have to like navigate over the tripwires, which is like a platforming puzzle thing, which is one of the few kind of platforming elements I didn't hate. Mm. Um, this is also the chapter where you get the hive hand, the the, the yep. thing, the glove that shoots the hornets, which is super gross and cool, like we've talked about. <laughs> you're this, indoors, outdoors, you're on cliffs, you're in the desert, yeah. you're on minefields. This is also you're... where the alien ships appear and start dropping the grunts and they start fighting the the army, yeah. There's, so that there's, rules. Yeah. Again, that should have been a separate chapter. Like there's there's yeah. so much. Yeah. But I still really liked most of it. Like the coherence of vision isn't as strong as in some other chapters. Like it, it has like 20 ideas, but 15 of them are good. Yeah. I, I actually basically agree with this. This is, this was the, the chapter, maybe just because of quantity, where I had the most times that I got stuck because of mm, fiddly mm-hmm. shit, I got sick of trying to navigate. Mm. So things like coming around one specific corner out of the facility where you get the hive hand and there's just like a tank parked right there with a bunch of guys that will just smoke you immediately. And it's too far away for you to have like r- a really good chance of accurately taking out the turret with mm. like the weapons that you have. You can't run towards it because it'll take you out in that amount of time. Like it, there's there's like a part with a sniper that took me forever to get past because I couldn't turn it. There was just, there was a more spaces in this than any other chapter where I wished I could just hit a button and fast forward the game 30 mm. seconds to just get past this one part where it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. I know what I would have to do. Like, just right, let yeah. me, just let me go. Just please. <laughs> 
Uh, the other thing I actually really did like about this was the end when you have to call, you know, like commandeer the airstrike. Oh, yeah, that to, rules. To kill the gargantua and then to clear a space for you. Yeah. And, and you're just like manipulating this map to, yeah. Yeah, telling where the airstrike is, which is so cool that, again, it's not a cutscene yeah. and that you actually have to kind of put in the coordinates yourself. It's the timing matters. You can miss the gargantua right. really yeah. easily. It can end up right on top of you. Like, like, because it's a thing that only happens once, it's not the most well-communicated that, A, you can do that to break things in the background to to clear a path for you, or, or that you're able to tell what is breakable and what isn't. Mm -hmm. But it's still a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And honestly, anytime when you, in a game, get to commandeer the resources of an overwhelming, mm -hmm. overpowered enemy and turn them against the enemy... That just is like one of the things that universally is the best video yeah. game shit. It just, it feels so good. Yeah. So the, the chapter that follows Surface Tension is Forget About Freeman, which I think is my least favorite chapter in the game. Mm -hmm. The only redeeming thing about that chapter is that you get to commandeer a tank at the end. Yeah, that's sick. Otherwise, that's the chapter that I think felt the most like padding. It didn't have a central vision mm -hmm. or idea. And I didn't even think it worked as a good catch your breath chapter. I kind of wish that... Surface tension went right into the Lambda base. Yeah, yeah, fair. And then I kind of wish it ended at the Lambda base. <laughs> I don't agree. Apparently, this is my this is my unpopular opinion. Because then we're taken to Michelle's fantasy land, apparently, the alien planet of Zen. Not my fantasy land. I just think it is a good... I'm very... So I can imagine some reasons why someone wouldn't like this, because not everything in it is great. But overall, I like this as a part of the game. So... It's cool to look at. It's cool to look at. It feels exciting to me that in this last little leg of the game, we have different gravity physics. We have a completely different way of relating to these enemies that we've seen before. Like here, we've we've you know we've seen the the flying stingrays as vehicles for delivering grunts. We haven't seen them just flying around minding their business. We've seen all these different types of aliens. We haven't seen them in this, like, working this factory setting where they're not hostile to you. Like, I don't know. There's just this. I think I appreciate this, A, because it's so strange. It's so mm -hmm. you've gotten so accustomed to what Black Mesa looks like. And all of a sudden you're in this space and you truly feel that it is alien. Like a thing that I don't like in games is when you have aliens, but they basically just like have the same shit we do. <laughs> like their buildings look like art. Like everything just is it's just like, ooh, there's like a weird angle here. But otherwise, it's just sort of mundane and all recognizable. This to me felt much more like an alien space. Sure. I think the design was good. Yeah. Be moving through the alien space was hot garbage <laughs> it, it demanded so much platforming and again with different gravity yeah with jacked up physics yeah it was so finicky see for me the only part of this platforming that was especially now we're not talking about the final boss we're talking about everything up to there right now yeah we'll get to that asshole the the only platforming part that i found especially finicky was um jumping on to the flying moving stingrays to get to the guy you the called doors. a ravioli the guy i called a flying ravioli off the mushroom onto the ravioli um that part sucked shit uh <laughs> that didn't work but otherwise i sort of i sort of felt this like strange like careful where you're stepping like getting from platform to platform like m 
working your way through this facility, trying to stay out of view, making careful decisions about when to risk being out in the open. Like I, there's there's a lot here that that felt um felt like a meaningful addition to what was going on. Um, so yeah, I don't know this this whole thing worked for me, and, we, and you know I've talked about the um the Gonark already, which is just awful. But it does, it feels like an alien mini boss fight should feel. It feels unnerving and spooky and you feel not exactly sure how to engage it or how to, how to fight it immediately. But, you know, it gives you feedback to figure it out. I don't know, this, this whole thing, I, the only thing that I truly hated about this section beyond the finicky ravioli jump was, um, those, those flying, uh, like eyeball face thing. They're like flying squids. I think you're, yeah, you're talking about the alien controllers. Uh, maybe they're just like a little, they're like a squid head. They fly, they shoot basically fireballs at you. Yeah. They suck and they're everywhere. Okay. If this game had just every time you encounter those, it should have 20 to 30% fewer of them. This is what I think. That or 100% fewer of them. And just none. Yeah, and 100% fewer of Zen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so people hate that the physics is all screwy. Is that the main complaint about, about Zen? I haven't looked into it. I just know that people hate Zen. I assume that it's for many of the reasons that I hate Zen, which is most of it. Like the platforming, the physics, the tedium fighting these monsters. And, and again, it just feels tacked on at the end. It's not fully developed. It's shorter than I thought it would be, which was nice. Mm-hmm. But also, I kind of wish the game had just ended earlier. I, I wish you just kind of went from the Lambda Core to the boss. Okay. Yeah. Like your trip into Zen is just going right to his chamber. But to a different boss. <laughs> More like Nohalanth. Because, <laughs> yeah, this is actually the worst part of this game and maybe any game definitely games that we've played for the show truly do you do you agree yeah without hesitation i don't think anything in any from software game any boss is nearly gonna be this frustrating <laughs> i mean full disclosure we both cheated our way through it oh yeah so yeah the nylon he, he... i did try him straight once Sure. Because I wanted to have the experience. Like, I think for, for the purpose of this pod, I think it's important for me to have oh, yeah. at least a one good college try. I think you tried more than once. And then, yeah. And I also tried him because, yeah. And again, I think I said last time that there's no way I beat this when I was younger. And yeah, there's no way. I must have used a code to see what the ending was. Yeah. Because there's there's no way I beat this fairly. And, I, and there's no way I ever will. It's too frustrating. Well, first of all, describe what this looks like. Uh, it's a big fetus or like newborn. It's like an old man baby. With just a huge head. Yeah. It's 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 not scary at all. No. It's it's, just stupid. It's just weird. Apparently Gabe Newell at the time, so his, um, he was, his wife was about to give birth or just did. And the birth of his child was the scariest thing he could possibly think of. That's such a cis man thing (laughs) to, to react and be like, ooh, what's the scariest thing of all? A newborn baby. <laughs> and so that's why that boss looks like that. And like the boss is terrible if it was just shooting the boss and like and like shooting these crystals that are on the wall and then using those trampolines to shoot inside of his big head. Or yeah, like him. a vulnerability point opens up. and But. But that's not all. No, that's not all. That's not the worst part by far. Yeah. So he shoots this one thing at you. And if it hits you, 
you get teleported to what I can only describe as the bottom of a what feels like a bottomless pit that you will have to do the most annoying platforming in the entire game by far to get up to the top of. And however deep you are thinking of this pit being, however far you are imagining you have to climb, it is easily three times that high to get up. It takes so long to get out. Any slip, you're back at the bottom. Yeah. There are enemies shooting at you. He's basically a platforming boss because the majority of what I was doing was platforming because I sucked at it. (laughs) I kept getting hit by his stupid green fireball thing that brought me, that teleported me to the platforming rooms. Yeah. And He's not even a platforming bus because you just have to you have to do the platforming to get back to a place where you have an opportunity to hit him. You're doing mm-hmm. nothing productive while you're platforming. Right. Like if I had to do this annoying platforming while also shooting at the boss, at least you'd feel like you were doing something that was moving you along mm-hmm. in the boss fight. Instead, it's just like you're on a punishment timeout from mm-hmm. the boss fight. He'll still be there. He's not taking any damage this whole time. You're just being ground down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we did Shadow of the Colossus, we talked about boss fights. We talked about how good boss fights are usually a test of your skills, but not a test of the most insignificant and worst skill and worst part of the game. It absolutely, this boss leans into all of the worst things about this game. It's like, let's test those all at once. Yeah. And the hardest you have ever had to do them immediately. And just finicky, just bad. And it's like... It's also not like you can only get sent to the platforming thing once. It's like you can claw your way out of there, immediately be hit by another one of those green things and be back at the bottom. Like there's no mm-hmm. cap on on how many times this is going to take you. Like infinite. How long you got? How yeah. long can you sit playing this game? <laughs> That's how long it can take. Yeah. I hated this. It was hard even with invincibility on. Yeah. Because you had to avoid the platforming rooms because... I would just, out of frustration, quit. Yeah. Like, that's his real weapon. Yeah. It's just making me quit. Fatigue. Player fatigue. Just being like, fine. Which, in that way, is a good boss. <laughs> I don't think that's what they were intending. I I am dying to know what Gabe Newell or any of the designers would say about this boss. Defend yourselves. <laughs> like, explain all of these choices. And it's too bad, because this game then does end on a pretty sour note. Speaking of, I have a question. Yes. So, in the denouement such as there is of this game what happens is the g-man shows up and finally deigns to speak with you (laughs) so he's not a human right because he speaks in this weird lizard way i mean and he's like jumping around no no it's not the same and he's like jumping you around to all these different weird scenes like Mm -hmm. zen is collapsing and the last thing that happens is he's got you on basically the tram from the opening or one just like it and he's saying, well, I've been watching you, come work with us, blah, blah, blah. And oh, P.S., if you don't agree, then I will, uh, your alternative is a fight that you cannot possibly win. So I have a couple things to say about this. Okay. We've established I hate the G-Man. So first of all, I very much was like, oh, you absolutely not. Like, work with you, I'd rather die. And tried to jump out of the <laughs> of the little trolley into, like, the void um, and died that way. Uh, I tried to... So the thing about him saying your alternative is a fight you cannot possibly win is like, bitch, did you see what I just did? Like, the game has... I've been doing fights that... 
any character in this world would say you cannot win for the last 12 hours. Like, yeah, that's how powerful the G-Man is. Well, so that's the thing. It was weird at this point. I was like, okay, bring it on. Like what? There's one more fight in this game. Let's do it. Let's go. I lived through all this. Um, But it is actually a fight you cannot win, which then (laughs) it's just weird. It's weird. And so you eventually there's literally no way to end this game other than just dying there or you know, stepping, accepting his his terms or whatever. Am I supposed to? How do people feel about the the G man in this decision? Because I I feel like, uh, this is purely a like. I guess I don't have a choice. Like, do, are people like, ooh, I got offered the opportunity to work? I'm not with really the sure what the response to the G man was at the time. What's your response to the G man? Um, I mean, I kind of know what happens. Oh, sure. Later, and so I, I guess that's a question for you. Are you are you interested at all in playing Half Life Two? Yeah, I would consider playing Half Life Two yeah. for sure. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. Yeah, I do find like as an ending for a standalone game, this is pretty unsatisfying. Like meeting the G Man, and it's just being clearly they don't really they haven't really worked out what he's going to be, so it just ends incredibly ambiguously, but yeah. not in a satisfyingly <laughs> ambiguous way. Yeah, in a just oh yeah, I guess we should address this G Man. You're with us now. And then get guess you get put into cryo sleep or whatever. Yeah, and then you wake up in Half-Life 2. Yeah. Following that boss, it it's kind of whatever, but the you know, the the ending is not the strength of this game. But overall, good first person shooter. Still, I think for me, holds up. I, parts of it I still found refreshing. Yeah. I again I totally I enjoyed this so much more than I thought I was going to. I got way more into it. Um, there was so much here that had this like strong clarity and vision and specificity. Um, like this, this I understand why this is something special. Too much platforming. <laughs> okay, let's see how you did with your predictions. Let's get through these pretty quickly. Um, I asked you how old you think Gordon is supposed to be. I think I said 35. Uh, but he's 27. That's So you are way wild. off regardless. He's uh, just a, he's super young, just looks way old. Um, I asked if you'd fall in love. Nope. You said no. That was correct. I asked you what you thought a G-Man was. I thought he was a flunky of the, of the assassin. So wrong. Yeah, no. I asked you to name one non-standard weapon you'd encounter. You said a nail gun. There was no nail Did gun. Did not get a nail gun. Okay, here we go. I asked you if you'd snipe a head crab. Okay. So define snipe. So here's the thing. When I was asking that question, really the question was asking, do you think there'll be a sniper rifle in the game? Which okay. there is not. <laughs> but but that's not what the word snipe means as a verb. If you look up a definition or some definitions, sniping requires three things. It requires you to be hidden somewhere. I would say not detected by the Okay, yeah. It requires prey. you to be undetected by the prey and it requires you to be shooting the prey at a distance. Yes. Were there any times when you did all three of those things to a head crab? Yes, absolutely. There were multiple times when with a pistol or a very stupid weapon, I took out head crabs that were like absolutely the li- the distance away where I could have used a sniper rifle if I had one. Okay, I'll give this one to you. Thank you. These points don't mean anything anyway. <laughs> Asked if you'd electrocute our gargantua. Somehow you said yes, which was correct. It felt specific. Uh, yeah. I asked if you'd perform any science. You said no, which was very wrong. Mm-hmm. I asked if you'd do a backflip on your motorcycle. <laughs> I said no. You said no, which was correct. <laughs> um, I asked you if your time to gun would be over or under five minutes. You I said, think I said under. You said under, which oh, was, boy, was I wrong. the most wrong of all of these. Yeah, yeah. 
And then I said, will you leave Earth? You predicted that we would, which is correct. I said, I will not be on Earth at some point, which is accurate. It's a, that is perfectly accurate. And so now I guess it's time to turn it over to you for, for your final score. You did pretty well. You did decently well on with the with those predictions for a game that you admittedly knew literally nothing about not that long ago. Honestly, I feel fine about that. Good job. Okay, for Half-Life 1, for always having a perfect music cue ready, plus 20. For the messed up gonad music, plus 10. For making everyone stupid except for me, plus 8. For disrespecting security guards and the very idea of colleagues, plus 9. For being a better depiction of mundane office life than The Office, plus 5. For helping me finally understand what pacing is, plus 6 and minus 10. For not knowing how many turrets is enough turrets, minus 12. For barnacles, plus 12. For making head crabs so grody, plus 6. For letting me harpoon a dinosaur underwater, plus 6. For testing me with that damn helicopter, minus 4. But for giving me the perfect platform to blow it up, plus 5. For the shitty, illiterate, extremely video game graffiti, plus three. For the genuinely surprising capture sequence, plus 18. For the utter shock of adjusting to zen, plus 18. For making me jump onto those flying manta rays, minus three. For leaning into the absolute worst elements of the game for the final boss, minus 15. For how unnerving the G-Man actually is, plus 15. For thinking there's any chance in hell that I would work with him voluntarily, minus eight. For a total score of 89 points. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, one thing you brought up there was uh, that this game finally taught you what pacing was, which is which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, because one... I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that's really interesting is that um, one of the developers actually talked about this. Um, a developer named Ken Birdwell. And he talked about how they had to come up with a theory of what they called experiential density. Because there were no cutscenes, they wanted to make sure that the player was still encountering something interesting at a at a quick enough pace mm-hmm. but they didn't want to just kind of send an onslaught of things at the player so it wasn't time based it was distance based so mm. after every few feet or whatever the player would encounter either you know a special effect a monster a plot point action sequence right um, so that as the player you could kind of control the pacing by exploring a space but then once you went if you wanted to get a move on you could confidently know that if you went far enough something would happen pretty soon except in on a rail <laughs> except in on <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Um, As always, if you enjoyed this show, uh, you can rate and subscribe, including on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, or you can tell a friend. That's really helpful to us. You can find our episode in show notes at neverwasagamer.com and follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time when Michelle takes on another long dormant but recently resuscitated franchise, (laughs) Crash Bandicoot. No, what? Okay, I'm kidding. We're actually doing something a bit different next time. So now that we're about halfway to Michelle's From Software game, we thought she deserved a little break and a chance to play and talk about one of her favorite genres. Because playing comfort games in the summer is an essential part of becoming a gamer.